Well, uh, I believe in the power of resurrection. Do you? Right? Well, I think we should, a little more exciting than that. I mean, I believe in the power of resurrection. Do you? There we go. That's what I'm talking about. We've got to get prepared for Easter, you know. Uh, we're not celebrating the cross this morning. We're celebrating the power of resurrection. So uh, it is my, it's my joy to, to say that over the last uh, few months, uh, Janelle and I have been able to hang out with Seth and Ty, uh, the uh, church planners at New Lenox Church. Uh, it's actually called Reachway Church. And so I've asked Seth to come and bring God's message this morning. Uh, I'm excited for, for his title and what he's going to be bringing to us. I look forward to it. I think I think it's something we need to hear this morning. So, Seth, if you would come this morning and uh, grace us with the word, uh, would y'all give Seth a hand this morning for taking time out? Thanks, Brad. Good morning, everyone. I want to encourage you when I say this. God is honored in this place. I was... Ty and I have brought our friend Ty Lur with us today, um, a, a friend friend from college, and he was uh, one of the groomsmen in our wedding, and uh, he's a dear friend to us. And him and I were commenting on how pleasant the worship has been this morning, and uh, and I just want to encourage you all that God is honored in this place, and, and he should be, shouldn't he? He should be, because he is good, and he is worthy of our a few weeks ago, really, um, the beginning of the year, uh, my wife and I were able to join you all, and we were able to talk about Reachway Church, keep you up to speed on uh, what is beginning in New Lenox, and I just want to give you a, a brief update on, on where we are as a church and as a church plant. And I, I first want to say thank you for your generosity and how you've supported us um, through um, giving of your resources to help out Reachway Church, as well as praying for us. And and this is what I do want to say in regards to those prayers. First of all, they are being heard. And and not only are those prayers being heard, but God is responding to those prayers. Um, I don't know verbatim what you're praying, but please keep doing it. Um, because we are beginning a journey together. And I say together because you guys are our neighbors. Took us five minutes to get here this morning, and uh, and 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 I want to say that God is is showing me things. I I, I just want to step out in faith and say that God is showing me things. Um, if if you follow along with the emails that we've been able to send out, asking you maybe specifically what to pray for, one of the prayers has been that God would go before us and prepare a way for us. And I gotta tell you, He's doing it. I, I gotta tell you, He's doing it. Just the other day, I, I won't share details or anything, but literally, you, you talk about God's timing. Um, I, I was getting ready in the morning, and, and we have a very small window in our bathroom with with curtains there, obviously, and we, we have some new neighbors that just moved in behind us, so our backyard is a long one, and then there's a, a subdivision behind us, and um, a, a new family just moved in there recently, and we were able to meet them a couple weeks ago. And as I was opening up the blinds, really just to let the sun in, I saw the family. And God reminded me, you've met them, but you need to get to know them. He's showing me things. And so thank you for praying for us. I would ask you that you would continue to do so. 
he's going to do something special and miraculous in New Lenox, Illinois, but it's not going to be for my sake. It's not going to be for your sake. It's going to be for his. And, and if we keep ourselves reminded of that, that why we're actually gathering together on the weekends and why we actually plant new churches in a community that has five on one road, it's for his sake. It's for his gospel's sake. It's for the kingdom's sake. Um, so thank you for praying. Continue to do so. Um, and and we're, so, we're so glad to be here this morning. We, we are ending a series called Prepared. The last time I was here, I began a series, and now I'm going to end one. And, uh, and, and this, this, see, this uh, series called Prepared, it is to prepare us. We, we are in the Lenten season, season of Lent. And if, if nothing else, the Lenten season, as we march toward Easter, is to remind us of the judgment that has been given and to remind us of the grace that is given to us daily in light of that judgment. And so we're going to talk just a little bit more about that this morning. We're, we're going to talk about a story that, as it says in Mark 14, um, I, I would like to read this. Mark 14, verse 9, um, Jesus says at the end of this account, which we're going to actually look at the account in John this morning, um, but, but if you are there, Mark um, chapter 14, verse 9, at, at the end of a story we call Jesus Anointed at Bethany, Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, which includes Joliet, Illinois, amen, what she has done will... Um, also be told in memory of her. Isn't that, isn't that fabulous that, that, that he says that? Did you know that when he spoke those words he had this morning in mind? Did you know that? Did you know that when he said this in, in the room that he was in several thousands of years ago, that he had this moment in mind? This story is going to be told again this morning. He doesn't say this about a lot of stories, and I'm wondering if we need to really tune in this morning to this specific story. Would you stand with me as we read it? Um, I I did mention we will be in the book of John, chapter 12. Sorry for all the turning. Um, John, chapter 12, we're going to read the first eight verses. We stand when we read because, uh, you know, there's nothing magical about standing. Um, There will come a day where standing is just not going to be at the top of my list anymore. Can someone give me an amen? Maybe who is hurting when they're standing this morning. We stand to acknowledge him. And and I would offer that when we do um, enter into the kingdom of heaven, there's going to be a lot of standing. There's going to be a lot of acknowledging his goodness and his glory. And so let's read uh, John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas, who was later to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
a keeper of the money bag. He used it to help himself to what was put into it. Verse 7. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we are privileged to be a guest in your house this morning. Lord, we ask as as believers in the living word of God that it would live this morning in us. And, And we ask as believers in the transforming word of God that we would be transformed by your word. Lord, remind us that transformation does not simply take place through the transfer of information. But that transfer takes place when we allow your word to dwell in us and we react to it. So Lord, transform us not because our ears can hear, but our hearts can feel. And Lord, transform us not because our ears can hear, but that our spirits and our souls can be stirred up and to respond and react. Lord, you are a good God, and we are here to honor and praise you this morning. May you add a blessing to this time and to the word that has been spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and grab your seats. It's a really great story. Um, Jesus was anointed several times throughout his ministry. Um, the, The anointing that we're going to be talking about this morning is seen in three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and John. Um, for whatever reason, Luke said, I don't know. Um, my, my friends will write about it. Um, I don't know. Um, but uh, but you, you might recognize other accounts where Jesus is anointed by um, other women. Uh, and oftentimes, it might be something either poured on his feet or actually something on his head. And you might, you might recognize other stories like that. The account that we're going to be talking about this morning is an account that happened roughly a week before he was crucified. So we are, in this moment, marching towards the Easter holiday, and, and in this moment, so is he. Now, the, the accounts of him being anointed before happen maybe months, uh, even maybe several years before what we're going to be talking about this morning. I just wanted to provide a little context for you. As some of you may know, I'm big into context. Um, I, I think it. I think it really helped us last time, um, and and I think it helps us kind of understand what's actually being said in the Word of God. So, just know that while all of this is going on, Jesus is about five, six, or seven days from either being crucified, being buried, or raising from the dead. Um, so that's where we're at right now. It's, it's pretty cool to consider that. There's also some context in the relationships that are being represented in this story. It is said where he is. He is at the home of Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. He, he raised Lazarus from the dead probably two or three or four months ago. That is kind of where this, this falls in line of Christ's life. And his siblings are Mary and Martha, probably the Bible's most popular sisters, right? And, uh, and so that's where, we, that's where we are in terms of scene. Um, we, we remember back on his relationship with Lazarus. Do you remember he, he wept over him? Do you remember that? When, when he got word and, and when he entered into Bethany, the, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept over him, and, 
And he was in Mary and Martha's house several times. And so when this is all taking place, Jesus is amongst friends. How do you feel when you're amongst friends? Pretty good, right? When, when, when you are with the people you love and when you are with the people that you know love you, there's something special about that. So that's where we are. That's where we are when this account is given. Um, this day, uh, as we read, a dinner is being held in his honor. And it could have been because he, I don't know, raised their brother to life a few months before. I think I would present a meal to him as well. But maybe they knew what was to come. And, and maybe they knew that now was the time to honor him. And so a, a dinner is being held. A, a meal is being eaten. A, a table is being reclined around. Um, it's Jesus. It's his disciples. It's Lazarus. Martha's serving. And in verse 3, Mary enters. Let's read that together. Um, then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Um, who wants nard poured on them? <laughs> it's, it's a great word, isn't it? Um, in, in reality, we would all want nard. It was like liquid gold, not like Velveeta cheese. <laughs> Darn it. Um, but it really was. It was prized. And, and it was not only prized, but it was rare. And, and there was a giant container of it, and, and she poured it all over his feet. Um, now, uh, feet washing, I don't know foot or feet, what I should be using there. I'm not a grammar teacher. Um, but the washing of feet, let's say that, the washing of feet was a customary thing. Uh, we've, as, as you have been in the church, you've heard about the practice of it the humility behind it, the act of reverence and worship behind it. Um, so this is, this is another act of, of foot washing. However, when a burial comes into play, perfume is often used. Um, perfume was often used to cleanse the body, anoint the body um, for, for preservation reasons, for smell reasons. Um, bodies do decay. That's a very real part of, of death. And so burial prep was a a very, very customary thing um, in, in Jerusalem and in that region, but also in Egypt. They still do that today, um, and, and that happens still. And so feet washing gets taken to the next level. Feet washing is a beautiful thing. It's something that, that, that should be done, I would argue, even today. But, but there's also a burial prep that's taking place. Um, and, and, and this is classic Mary. This is classic Mary. You might, you might remember the story that shows up several different times in the gospel accounts. You have a sister Mary, and you have a sister Martha, and Jesus uh, shows up at their house, and what's Martha doing? She's preparing. She's cooking. She's cleaning. Um, she's dusting probably to no avail, right? Because dust is everywhere. Martha's just getting ready. And where's Mary at? She's at the feet of around the table. She's listening. She's listening. She's, she's asking questions. Doing what, what Mary, Mary's doing what she thought she should have been doing. Martha comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my, my sister, she's not helping me. Doesn't that upset you? It's upsetting me. She's not helping me uh, prepare the food and serve it. What gives? And, and Jesus says, 
paraphrased, he says, there, there are so many things, Martha, that you are concerned about right now. But I want to tell you that there's really only one thing you need to be worried about, and Mary has chosen that one thing. And, and so this is classic Mary to be at his feet once again. This is classic Mary to be in a position of worship and humility before her, her Savior. Now, why would Mary do this? Well, because Mary is Mary. But also because Jesus just raised her brother from the dead. This was the man who saved her brother from death. And maybe Mary knew that this would be the one who would save the world. And maybe Mary knew that this was going to be the one that was not only going to redeem her brother again, but redeem her, her sister, her family, her neighbors, and the entire planet. Maybe she knew. And so I would say that she used her time wisely, wouldn't you? (laughs) To honor our Savior. This account, the the account that follows this is absolutely fascinating. Verse 4 through 6, let's, let's read. But one of the disciples, Judas, who was later to betray him, objected, Why was it this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Verse 6. Catch this verse. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Keeper of the money bag, he used it to help himself to whatever was put in it. Now, this is the only gospel account where Judas is actually called out to be a thief. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, here we are in the book of John, it is the only book where it is actually revealed to us that Judas is a thief. We knew that he was the keeper of the money bag. We we knew that that was his job, to be the, the group treasurer, so to speak. But this is the only account where it's actually said he is a thief. And not only is he a thief, which I guess we could say, as people who know the whole story, I bet you. And he loved money. But we actually learn that he frequently took money out of the bag to help himself. It's, it's an interesting thought to consider. And that helps us, it gives us context of to why he's actually saying the words that he chose to say. Now we know, based on that fact, that he was a thief and that he commonly took money out of the bag. And that it indeed tells us that he actually doesn't care about the poor. So we know that Judas has absolutely no interest in helping the poor. He only wants to help himself. Something that he did frequently. Something that he was used to. And remember that Judas betrayed Jesus for about one month's worth of wages. And the perfume that was spilled was worth a year's salary. Imagine the commission that he would have taken. I mean, who who wouldn't want it to be sold, right? Um, Especially if you want to steal. And take a tithe out, I guess. That's a pretty twisted way to do tithing. Um, but that, that's what he was interested in. Don't miss that Judas's suggestion is 100% self-seeking. And 100% self-glorifying. He's not kicking the poor. He is a thief. Um, he, he wanted to use the money uh, for himself. And so he chose a phrase to say and share in front of Christ to look good. Don't you think maybe he was trying to do that? trying to look good in front of the disciples, trying to look good in front of Christ, saying, you know, what, what we should really do, uh, you know, Jesus, what would be a really good thing is actually if we sold this and uh, just gave it away to the poor. 
Judas? That's not what he was trying to say. And so, and so let's, let's be reminded of that. Verse 7, I call this Jesus Responds Part 1. Um, we get a two-thirds of a trilogy this morning. Leave her alone, he replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Now, perfume, as we talked about, was custom for Jewish burials to prepare the body, to preserve the body, to help it uh, not, not stink as bad as, as maybe a decaying body would. And so this is something that was common six days before someone were to be buried. Because we're six days away. Jesus also is alluding that his death is near. Up until this time, Jesus really only predicts his death in general, right? He says, there will come a day where I will leave. He says, there will come a day where I, where, where the Son of Man will die and, and leave this place. But he is actually now to the point where he is saying, not only am I going to die, but it's coming up very, very soon because my body is being prepared for burial. So it's, it's really interesting, the imagery that's being used. Jesus responds part two in verse eight, and we're going to spend the rest of our morning talking about just one verse. Jesus says, and and this is probably a verse you've heard so many times, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, taken by itself out of context, which as you know, I don't think any verse should be taken out of context. Out of context, someone reads this verse, and, and this is what they might think, that Jesus is harshly disregarding the importance of giving to the poor. And to that I say, are you kidding me? (laughs) Jesus doesn't want to give to the poor. He came for the poor. Not only did he come for the poor, but he lived a poor life. He did not have a home. He had no place to lay his head. He survived off of the bread from his father, which came into play by receiving meals from people like Mary and Martha. This is how he survived. He came for the poor. He came for the sick. And he came for the broken. So there is no way that Jesus would say that maybe we shouldn't be giving to the poor. Right? But we know the story. In context, this is an act of worship. I, I love what was mentioned earlier when, when we engaged in a song. It was said, let us um, stand as we continue to worship in song. I love that language usage because there are so many more ways to worship than just singing. There are so many more ways to worship than just singing. And one of those ways is being displayed here. And we should tune into it. Mary knew how to respond when Jesus was around. Remember earlier, a a previous account, Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. When, When Martha was preparing and getting ready to serve, when she was worried about so many things, Mary knew what was most important in that time, in that moment, and that was to be with Jesus. And that was to be with her Savior and to worship him and to learn from him, to get to know him. So Mary knew exactly what to do when Jesus was around. And she was doing it. The perfume or the money didn't matter. Mary knew that Jesus was to leave soon, but he wasn't gone yet. It's a beautiful thing. So so this message you, you may have seen in the worship folder. 
is entitled Worship to Work. That, that's, the, that's the little title I've, I've given this sermon. Worship to work. The opposite of that would be, what? Work to worship. So, so, so worship to work. We look at the life of Mary, and get this. It was her desire to worship Christ that led to the works of her hands. I'm going to say that again. She had a desire to worship. She had a desire to worship Jesus. And that desire to worship influenced the works of her hands, which in this case was washing his feet with perfume. The opposite would be work to worship, or work so that you may worship, or your work is actually your worship. I know I might be getting repetitive, I know I might be repeating maybe the same thing over again, but it's something that maybe we get confused a lot, is the place of those two words. Um, hear this, our desire to worship Christ must be the influence of the works of our hands. It needs to be our desire. We must have no other desire on this earth than to worship Him. And it's out of that desire that the works of our hands are influenced. That's what's happening in this story. And, and I would argue that that's what needs to be happening in our lives. Maybe it does. And that's a beautiful thing. We're, we're reminded of that this morning. If our works define our worship, then we're not necessarily missing the mark. Hear me. If our works define our worship, we're not necessarily missing the mark, but we're missing the point. There are good things that take place during working with our hands. There are good things that can take place during a service project. Um, Community. There are beautiful things that can take place, like in Peru, which just happened a couple weeks ago. Beautiful things can take place when we do things with our hands, when we do things. And so we don't always necessarily miss the mark, but depending on the motivation behind those works, we might be missing the point altogether. Mary not only had a dozen reasons to worship God, which were all very real reasons, case in point, her brother, But she had the pure heart necessary to offer a true act of worship. Consider that her desire to worship Christ led her to the work or the action of pouring pouring $30,000 or $40,000 worth of perfume on his feet. Now, I don't want you to think numbers here. It was a year's salary poured out literally in an instant. And it was out of her desire to worship him that she did that without hesitation. It was out of her desire to acknowledge the glory of her Christ in the moment that she poured out a year's salary without hesitation. Consider that for a moment. Consider the heart that must have been required for her to make that decision. Don't get caught up in the dollar amount get lost in how radically amazing this act is. Get lost in it. Ponder it. Think about it. As as a church planter, my year's wages decreased significantly. (laughs) Significantly. So I, I can imagine what it would feel like or what it would look like 
or what would be a, a result of a year's wages disappearing. So I, I, can, I can look at this story, and I can see Mary, and I can say, you go, sister, but you're crazy. It was out of her heart and her desire to worship that she did this without hesitation. There is, there is a passage that was read um, just a moment ago. I would like to read just a few more, uh, a few verses from it in uh, the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Um, this, this, is, this will be in your worship folder as well. I, I would like to read verses 7 through 9. This is, this is the Apostle Paul speaking here. It says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them, get this word, garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul is saying here, and and this is something we sang moments ago, that there is nothing worth more than to know Jesus. There is nothing worth more than to feel his presence, including a jar of nard. It was something that was coveted by so many. But it wasn't even worth it for her to for her to hold on to it. I mean, why would she do it? She knew that there was nothing more important than to know her Savior. Mary did this when Jesus came over for dinner a few months before. She was at his feet. She didn't help her sister. Imagine how many times that she did help out her sister, but on this day, when this particular guest was in the place, she cast all of that aside and said, I know what's most important. I need to worship here. She's doing that again. Worship, if, if, if you're a note taker or if you've got the, the mental vault up here, worship equals this, our effort to know him more. Plain and simple. Worship is us giving an effort for the purposes of knowing him more. There is nothing, there's no other reason. There's no other reason. If if it was to get an audition on American Idol, then I don't know. If if, if it was an opportunity um, for for people to showcase the abilities that they have only, and and I'm not saying there's not talents that are represented up here every Sunday, beautiful talents that, that, that God has given people But if it's not to know him more, and if it's not to bring glory and honor to him, then what is it? And and, and I think that we can think back to to Judas. I I would like to offer four points to you um, that that I would love for you to consider and take with you. And and maybe this this can help shape what you think about not only this passage, but your response to it. Um, Number one, a true act of worship is never self-seeking. There are, there, I would like to put emphasis on two words. Uh, the, the word true and the word never. A true act of worship 
is never self-seeking. We think back to Judas and his noble suggestion to give money to the poor. This only inflated him. And, and we learned that it came from absolutely awful intentions. Oftentimes, the purest acts of worship aren't the most photogenic. Consider that. Oftentimes, the purest acts of worship aren't that photogenic, and they aren't ones that Jesus doesn't want us to talk about always. You know, we serve a God who says, pray in your room with the door closed. If you want to really come to my throne, and if you really want to get to know me, then you come by yourself. And you don't really tell anyone that you did it. Because it's not going to matter what they think. Our purest acts of worship are not that photogenic. And they are not things that we necessarily need to go tell everyone about. So before you do something that could be considered worship, and, and it could be anything, I would just encourage you to check the condition of your heart. This is something that we all should be doing. Something that we should all be encouraging each other to do. Before you go into an act of worship, before you enter into your next community service project, all I ask is that you check the condition of your heart. You can hit the mark, but you can miss the point. And so all I would ask is that you don't miss the point. That's all I ask. Just make sure that you realign yourself and realign the purpose of what you do and why you do it to get to know him more and to bring honor and glory to his name. That's, that's all we need to be doing. That's all we need to be doing. Point number two is this. We will always have the poor. I, I borrowed the phrase from the passage that we read this morning. We will always have the poor. When Jesus says you will always have the poor among you, he, he, he's saying something like this. You will always have something that you can do to show how much you love and care about me. So, are there financially poor people? Yes, absolutely. Are there always going to be financially poor people? I mean, probably, right? Because Jesus says so. But how we can apply that this morning is that you will always have something or you will always have a reason where you can do something to show how much you love and care about me, there is always going to be a reason. There is always going to be something that we can do. Be aware that a perceived good deed can actually be a temptation. Right? Judas suggests to give $40,000 worth of nard to the poor. That could do some stuff, you know? You talk, we, t we talked earlier about the, the money that you have been able to give towards world missions in this last calendar year. Money can do some powerful things if it's put in the right hands and given for the right usage. But what if the motivation for that money is coming from, from a place where it shouldn't? Because you know what? The good deed that Judas presents came from the devil. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Because this is someone who betrayed Christ days later for much less money. A perceived good deed can actually be a temptation to knock you off the course of worshiping the God in the ways that you should be worshiping. If you don't think that it's true, then you've got at least one story that you can fall back on. Point number three, this, this is one of my favorites. 
we can never love the things that we do for Jesus more than the Jesus we do things for. Can I repeat that? We can never love the things we do for Jesus more than the Jesus we do things for. Can I get two amens this morning? We can't fall in love with service projects if we're not falling in love with Jesus. We can't fall in love with giving to the World Evangelism Fund if we're not falling in love with Jesus. We can't fall in love with evangelism if we're not falling in love with the person we are evangelizing for. Because if we do, we enter down a slippery slope. A slippery slope. The book of Romans, uh, chapter 1, verse 25, Paul is speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah. Many of you are familiar with the story of this city, um, the things that they did, and the result of the things that they did. Um, If you don't, there was a city, they did a lot of bad things, and um, you couldn't even find a couple of righteous people to save that city. And and so God destroyed it. In speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah, Paul says this, Romans chapter 1, verse 25, he says, They, meaning Sodom and Gomorrah, worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. What a powerful statement. So they, they, they did all these things. They lied. They gossiped. They, they, they had relations that were unholy, that, that, were, that were not godly. They did all of these things that they shouldn't have been doing. All of that is summed up in the phrase, they were created things rather than the creator. And you look at what happened to them, we need to tune our ears into that, to those words. They worship created things rather than their creator, so look what happened to them. So... I say, and, and, I, and I throw myself into this statement, shame on us if we ever lo- love the creation more than the creator. Uh, my, my wife and I are, are taking a road trip. Does anyone else like road trips out there? Maybe you'd rather drive somewhere than fly somewhere. Um, you, you can see a lot of beautiful things. We are driving uh, from New Lenox to Indy to Nashville and then down to Georgia. And it's going to get warmer. We're going to see a lot of beautiful stuff, and we're, we're very much looking forward to it. And, and, and so what can we say? Wow, Lord, thank you for creating such, such a beautiful landscape. But if we're falling in love with mountains and flowers rather than the one... If, if we don't see something beautiful and automatically say, Lord, thank you, you are so worthy, you are so creative, you are so majestic and beautiful, then, then what are we doing? We're falling in love with created things instead of the Creator. Shame on us if we ever love and act more than the one that we're acting on behalf of. Um, the fourth point that, that we get from Mary. To worship Jesus, begin at His feet. To worship Jesus, begin at His feet. Seek His desires. Seek His face. Seek to know Him more. That's what Mary did physically when she was at His feet. When, when Martha was complaining, and when Jesus is here once again at, at a dinner being held for her, she is at His feet. Imagine, and think about it for a minute. I, I you know, I've never sat at anyone's feet um, on, on purpose, Right? 
things growing on them, right? So I, I've never necessarily, now, I'm sure when I was younger, my grandpa or grandma just kind of sat me in front of them or something like that. But imagine that if someone you, you, you really respect is with you, imagine the things that you can absorb, the things that you can learn about from that person if you are actually sitting directly in front of them. And, and there's something about the position of the knee crease, right? There's just something about that position. So if you want to worship Jesus, begin at his feet. Now, his feet are not here. Uh, so what do we do? Well, there are so many things that we can do that can be purposed to get to know him more, but we don't see them that way. There are so many things that we can do with our lives that can be purposed or repurposed to get to know him more, but we don't sometimes see them that way. Mary spent much of her time at Jesus' feet getting to know him. So don't ask, what does Jesus want me to do? Ask, what does Jesus want? Period. Don't bring yourself into it. Because in many, many, many ways, as children of God, we are not different from any other child of God. And that's okay. As children of God, we have been called to bring hope. As children of God, we have been called to share the good news. There is no child of God that is exempt from that. There is no child of God that is exempt from worshiping Him. And so, don't ask, what does Jesus want me to do? Ask, what does he want? What does he want to see in Joliet, Illinois? What, what do you think Jesus would want to see happen in the lives of your neighbors and friends? Think about the God that you know. Think about the one that you've read about and prayed to. What would he want to see happen, and how would he want to include his children? And, and I think this church is on the right track. I think this church is, is understanding that it's actually going to take them in order to see stuff happen. Can God do whatever he wants, whenever he wants? Absolutely. But guess what? He's chosen to use you. He is the God who parts seas. He splits ground. He moves mountains. He brings plagues can make stuff happen. And guess what he's made happen? The breath in your lungs. Isn't that beautiful? Guess what he has made happen? We're all awake. We're all here. Guess what he's made happen? Eternity. With him. And there's something to be said for how we respond to those things. So we should all have a desire to worship Jesus. Where do we need to begin? At his feet. We're talking about the idea of knowing him more, right? So in many ways, this brings us full circle to our theme, prepare. Preparing for the judgment, but recognizing the grace. This sermon might have made you uncomfortable, and I realized that. You may be thinking something along the lines of, I thought I was supposed to do things for Jesus. Now, of course we are, Right? I thought I was supposed to do things for Jesus, and we are. But consider this passage from Matthew chapter 7, where people come to Jesus and they say, we cast out demons in your name. 
We prophesied in your name and we healed the sick. And what does Jesus say? Get away from me because I never knew you. Which means that we can do things in his name without actually knowing him. And Jesus says himself. Don't get mad at me. Jesus says himself, if you don't know me, then it doesn't matter. If you don't actually know my desires for the kingdom and my desires for you, if you perform miracles in my name, it doesn't matter if you don't know me. That's what Jesus is saying to us today. So we've got to tune in. And there's preparation that is involved in that. To understand that the resurrection doesn't mean anything for us if we don't know the one who died. His resurrection doesn't mean anything for us if we don't understand what we're actually being saved from and if we don't actually understand the heart of the one who saved us. There is something to be said for knowing Jesus. Can we do that through song? Absolutely. Can we do that through service projects? Absolutely. Can we do that through the giving of our resources? Absolutely. But brothers and sisters, if you don't have a desire a growing desire, a burning desire to know him more, then we're going down a path that we can't go back. Once again, we worship so that we can know Christ more. Because we know what's going to happen if we don't know Christ. So as we prepare this morning, Christ warns us that there will be a constant flow of things that will continue to do what we count as worship, but in no way will we actually be knowing him more deeply. Jesus reminds us as we prepare, as we march down, as we prepare ourselves for what is to come, he reminds us that there will be so many things that are going to get in between us and him. Are they good things? Yes. But are they still barriers to get to know him more? Yes. As we prepare this morning we are reminded that Christ never withholds himself from us. Is anyone happy that that is true? We are reminded that Christ never withholds himself from us. This is the grace that we need. Because you know what? Sometimes I can lose sight of what we're trying to do. As a church planner, sometimes I can lose sight of the reason that my wife and I have moved our lives to a community. New Lenox is a great place. We're getting a five guys in a few weeks. Right? Who wouldn't want to live around a five guys? Take away the five guys. Take away the malls. Take away the shopping, right? Take away the affluence. Take away the influence. Take it all away because it's garbage, right? It's garbage if we don't know him more. Paul understands that. I think we do too. But where grace comes into play is when we lose sight. Is it going to happen to all of us? Maybe it has this morning. But you know what? There is a grace for you. If you think that you have a past that has been defined by the things that you do, if you think that the things you do presently define who you are, and if you think that he 
can't forgive you for those things, I would ask that you would think again. I, I would ask and I would beg and I would pray that you understand that the one who died for you on a cross that looks just like that one wants you and everything that you are today. He wants you to come to him, and, and he wants you to pour out in worship to him. You can do that at your job. You, you can do that at, at an assisted living center. You can do that in this room on a Sunday morning. You can do it in the rooms around this church on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night. You can do it while you're checking out for groceries at Jewel. If you're doing it for him, then the world can get changed. And if you all go out into your community and do things for him, then transformation can take place. Now, we can't end without talking about the grace that we've been given. We, we cannot end this morning without acknowledging that he is so good that he has forgiven us of everything that we have done, that we're doing, and that we will do. So as we pray in, in just a moment, ask that he would begin to transform because of his word and because of his Holy Spirit. If there is something that the Holy Spirit has laid on you this morning to consider for yourself, maybe to share with someone else, you've got a great pastor with a set of great ears. He can listen. Ears. He can hear a lot of things. And, and, and so, there are people who have been placed in this church to hear you. If you need to be heard this morning, if you need to have a conversation this morning, there, there's no better time to respond than amongst believers. There's no better place to respond to something than in the, in the body of Christ. And so, if that's something you need to, need to do this morning, then do it. And as we pray... Thank God for the grace that he has shown you because it's life-saving grace. And, and, and also consider how you might respond this morning to the story that will be told wherever the gospel is preached. Let's pray. Lord, we come before your throne this morning and, and we ask that you would hear our prayers of thanksgiving. We ask that you would hear our thank yous. Lord, as one body, we acknowledge how beautiful your grace to us is. Lord, I can say, as Seth, I can say for myself that there have been times where I have let the things that I was doing get in the way of knowing you more. And Lord, I, I want to come before you and say, not please forgive me, but thank you for forgiving me. Because you've done it. You did it on the cross. And so, Lord, it's, it's out of that grace that you have shown me and that you have shown my family and my friends that I want to continue, yes, to do things for you, but to do them to get to know you more and to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So, Lord, equip this church. I, I pray a prayer of blessing over this church that you would equip it to go out into its community and to get to know people and to bring hope to them. 
Lord, you're stirring something up in this region of the Chicago Central District. You are up to something. You are up to something. Lord, don't let us miss it. Lord, give us a desire to come to your feet with the purposes of knowing you more so that we can worship you more. And we know that as we continue to seek you, that you will continue to show yourself to us even more so. And it's out of thanksgiving and expectation. And it's out of our minds that are prepared that we say thank you, that we say we love you. And we say Don't you love the way God works? Amen. I want you to stand and join me in saying our closing prayer together. And I want you to think and focus on these words. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a great day.